All right, welcome. You guys will grab uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to dive in there this morning. Uh, if you've forgotten, I haven't been here for a while, we're walking through uh, 1 Corinthians. The Corinthians were a troubled church. They had lots of issues. And what Paul does in the letter is he applies the gospel to all of these issues. As, uh, and we're, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians. We'll start in verse 17 in just a second. As you get there, um, who here enjoyed Thanksgiving dinner this year? Okay. Uh, has anyone here ever had a bad Thanksgiving dinner? Like you, you went and the food wasn't very good? <coughs> ever have anybody here? Okay. All right. Only one. Come on, guys. Your parents are not here. Okay. They're not, they're not <laughs> listening. Okay. Anyways, um, one time at an unnamed Thanksgiving, uh, Sarah and I went, uh, and it was okay, but for some reason, the food was just exceptionally off. Like, everything just had, like, a weird, like, almost make you nauseous flavor to it. And so, uh, at one point, and so we just kind of pretended to eat, and uh, we get done with the meal, and Sarah's like, Leland, you have to sneak me out of this house, and we have to go get sandwiches. So... (laughs) And so uh, we spent our uh, Thanksgiving out looking for sandwiches. Anyways, um, it's, that's hilarious. And it might make you want to feel bad for us, but uh, it's not really interesting, like, complaining about the food on Thanksgiving. Doesn't that uh, almost contradict and ruin the point of the holiday? Well, uh, the situation behind our passage this morning is a group of Christians who are worshiping and especially taking the Lord's Supper in such a way that totally destroys and nullifies what it's about. (coughs) What they're doing when they come together is actually not benefiting them, but making them worse off to such a bad place where in verse 30, Paul will say, this is why some of you are weak and sick and some have died. That your gatherings are so bad that God is judging you for them. Um, so before we, this is a, another tough passage. Last week was tough, this week will be tough. Uh, but let me just point out a couple things in this passage. Most people, uh, if you look at uh, verse 17, you probably have a little subtitle there that will say the Lord's Supper, or it'll say uh, bad things happening at the Lord's Supper. And that's not completely the most helpful thing. Most people see this passage as solely uh, Paul teaching about the Lord's Supper. Uh, but there's, there's a phrase that occurs over and over again in the passage. If you look at verse 17, in the middle, Paul says, When you come together, it's not for the better or the worse. Uh, verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. At the end of the passage, when Paul gives his, his advice, in verse 33, he says, When you come together, wait for one another. Finally, do these things so that when you come together, it won't be for judgment. And so, as we read and as we jump in, know that even though this passage is certainly about the Lord's Supper, um, it is primarily and more so about what happens and what we do when we, as believers, come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the issue here. And the reason the Lord's Supper is so, so much in focus is because in the ancient church, they practiced the Lord's Supper every time they gathered. It was the central thing they did. Um, so let's dive in with that in mind. 
First Corinthians, starting in verse uh, First Corinthians eleven, starting in verse seventeen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord Jesus, uh, we, we remember you this morning, and we remember uh, your body broken for us and your blood poured out for us. And I pray, just as we study this passage, um, that you yourself would come and minister to us and meet us. We pray for wisdom in applying it well. In Jesus' name. So uh, I want you to think, um, how significant do you think what we are doing this morning and what we'll be doing at 1045 when we go to worship, how significant is that compared to other things going on in the world? Uh, when, when Dean and Dustin, Dean Dustin's our super leader, Dean's our traditional, when they get the choir warmed up or get the guitars going, okay, is that more significant than Dabo last night with the Tigers, okay? What's more significant? You know, one involves about, you know, maybe a thousand people. One involves hundreds of thousands, right? Um, what's more significant? All of the nations of the world gathering to govern at the, at the UN or competing in the Winter Olympics, all right? Or a little house church in Pakistan sharing about the Lord and praying for their community. What's more significant? Donald Trump's finger on the red button considering a nuclear strike on North Korea, or Buster's thumb opening his Bible, probably right now, getting ready to preach. What's more significant? 
The answer from the scriptures is shocking. It's one that most Americans and unbelievers would scoff at. That what we're doing this morning, particularly when we gather to worship, is the most significant thing going on in the world. The tiniest, most insignificant gathering of believers in God's kingdom is more significant than the most massive event in human history outside of the kingdom. It sounds a little preposterous. It sounds a little bit uh, of an overstatement, but just consider a couple things. Uh, First, uh, in many places, God calls his New Testament church his temple, his dwelling place. Now, of course, each individually, all of us individually, and in some sense are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells us. But particularly when God's people gather together, they collectively are a temple. God comes and he manifests his presence, particularly in a gathering of God's people. So think about it. The one place in the world where God can be uniquely present is when we get together as believers. Uh, secondly, uh, believers in worship do the only thing that's going to last forever. Okay, There will be a day when America is no longer a nation. There will be a day when college football no, no longer exists. Right? There will be a day when the most famous person in history is forgotten. And on that day, the worship of Jesus will continue forever. And we, won't just, uh, we don't just worship. Um, we actually uh, proclaim uh, through our lives together who God is and what he's doing. Uh, Russell Moore uh, recently tweeted, uh, the Holy Spirit makes the church a colony of heaven in a country of death. I'm not totally sure what Moore was getting at there. I didn't really understand it. But a colony of heaven, that's a great picture. God's people together are a little, a little invading force into the world. We, we represent heaven when we're together. And so, all that to say, uh, what we do when we come together is immensely significant. There are few things we do more significant than get together. Whether it's here on Sundays, whether it's in worship, whether it's in your community group, um, there are few things you can do more significant than gathering with God's, God's people. But what happens when Christians take something so significant and treat it like it's something normal? What happens when, a, uh, when you approach uh, worship like a concert that's supposed to impress you? Or you approach the Lord's table like a buffet? You know, what happens when you, you come to a gathering of God's people like you go out on Friday night, you know? Looking to impress somebody of the opposite sex or looking to be noticed, looking to be loved, whatever. Um, Paul says here that when believers do this, when they see these sacred gatherings as secular or normal or non-special, they are coming together for the worse. That the Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians' gatherings, uh, because they treat them as normal, because they really despised each other in them, they were coming together for the worse. Let's flush this out. Look at verse 17. Where we start. Start midway through the verse. It says, because when you come together, that's just shorthand for, for a gathering of people. So when Christians get together, Sunday mornings, your community group, connect, whatever. You and a few friends praying together, all right? When you come together, it's not for the better, 
but for the worse. The idea here is that uh, God intends, he wants our gatherings to bless us. The purpose of gathering God's people is to be built up, to be stirred up, to grow. Um, you're, you're meant to leave, leave this Sunday at 12 with more grace on your life, more of the Spirit's presence, more favor of God on your life. That's what God intends. But for the Corinthians, the opposite was happening. Their gatherings quenched the Spirit. Their gatherings did not bring God's favor on their lives, but God's judgment. Um, and, and we kind of see this in some ways. Have you guys ever had maybe a family gathering uh, or a community group or maybe a date when afterwards you thought it would have been better if I never went? You know, we, have, we have some friends uh, who are married, and they say sometimes on date night, we just give up. Like, we've paid for babysitter, we're out, and it goes so badly, we're just like, check, please, and we go home. Like, it would have been better if we had not gone out in the first place. I don't know if you've ever had that. Ever had a, ever had a holiday when your parents or your family, like, gets in a big fight or something, and, and you, you come back and you're like, it would have been better if I just stayed in Charleston for Thanksgiving, you know? It would be better if I hadn't gone. And maybe you haven't had that. You guys don't have to confused. Like, gosh, I've had plenty of those. But anyways, um, uh, a gathering is meant to build intimacy. It's meant for fellowship and laughing and shared memories. But sometimes the way we gather completely destroys that purpose. And that's what's happening here. God intends his gatherings of his people to build them up and bless them. But sometimes the way they approach these gatherings serves the opposite effect. And look at verse uh, 18 and 19. They give one of the main reasons for this. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Uh, we talked about this very in the beginning, 1 Corinthians, way back in uh, August and September. But there were divisions in the congregation. They fought with each other about secondary things. They didn't like each other. They didn't get along well. Um, and Paul makes a sarcastic comment. He says, verse 19, I believe it because there need to be factions among you so that those who are genuinely Christians can be recognized. It's kind of a sarcastic comment that highlights how bad it was going. But the big point here is that Christians had come together, they had come to worship, they gather the name of the Lord Jesus in such a way that it worked in reverse, that the opposite of what God had intended was happening. Um, so we think about applying this to us. Uh, someone has said of contemporary man, this is, a really, this is a really interesting quote, he says, he worships his work, he works at his play, and he plays at his worship. I don't, know, I don't know about those first two parts, okay? But a great question to ask yourself this morning is, do you play at your worship? Do you come here casually? Is Do you just congratulate yourself for making it, right? Um, is, is Sunday, are Sundays, or Wednesdays, or whenever, right? Are those, are those, significant in your mind? Do you see this time as special? Now, we're not, you know, we're not in the Old Testament, okay? This building's not a temple, all right? We don't have to bring sacrifices, but, but any time God's people gather together, it's significant, it's serious. How you come matters. But don't, don't miss this, though. God cares immensely about how we gather. He cares. Grace, the wonderful truth that God embraces us as we are in Jesus. That does not mean that our worship is casual, that we're allowed to show up and kind of 
judge and evaluate how the music's going, right? You gotta experience that, right? Hmm, we're, I don't like how the lights are, you know? Like, ugh, I, they missed a chord there. I don't really like this song. Like, like guys, that is, an, that is an horrible attitude towards worship. Guys, the point of worship is, to, is for you to stir yourself up to love God, right? Or, or in the preaching of the word, guys. And I, I'm guilty of this. How many times have you sat back and said, preacher, let's see if you can move me this morning, you know? Like, let's see if you can use some powerful stories or illustrations to entertain me or move me. And, and this person, God, God, God cares about those things. Intensely, he cares about how we, how we come. Um, and, and more so than what I've said, what's going on in 1 Corinthians is, is God cares how we come, especially in relationship to each other. Um, if you've noticed, uh, the main sin of, in 1 Corinthians 11 is that in the Lord's Supper, they were disregarding each other. We'll get, we'll get the details of that, of that in a second. But they did not care a lick about each other. People in the congregation didn't like each other. They had, they had issues with each other. And so and when they came that way, God was judging them for that. Um, and so another important element of what God cares about when we gather is your love towards the believers around you. Your, your desire for their good. And it's really tempting, right? Um, to come and be consumed with how I'm doing, how people are perceiving me, like who notices me, who notices me, that we forget about other people. Um, I think it's important to realize that uh, horizontal sins, things that we do to each other, aren't just things we commit, but things we fail to do. Uh, I'm, I'm working through the New City Catechism right now, and we're going, and questions, I think it's 9, 10, and 11, uh, ask things like, what does God mean in the first, second, and third commandment. So anyways, uh, I did a sixth commandment and eighth commandment last week. But here's the sixth, sixth commandment is do not murder. Here's what the New City Catechism says that that means. That we do not hurt or hate or be hostile with our neighbor, but be patient and peaceful, pursuing even our enemies with love. Now, I love the alliteration there, right? Hurt, hate, hostile. Good, good to remember it. But, but the, the, I'll see how it's not just a negative thing, but a positive one. The commandment, do not murder, is not just don't go killing people. It's no. Love even your enemies. Notice the other. Pursue people in love. Maybe just consider this morning, uh, if you're spiritually dry, if it's been a long time since you've gotten anything out of your Christian gatherings, maybe the problem is that you are not coming as you should. Or maybe you're coming as you are, which is okay, but you're not willing to change when you come. Maybe that's what's going on. It's really easy to blame God that he's not meeting me, you know, when I'm coming. It's really easy to blame people, preachers, for not preaching well enough or me, whatever. But maybe the issue is how we're coming. So corporate worship is a serious matter. Uh, it's one of the most serious things that we do each week. Uh, but there's something especially significant about the Lord's Supper. Now, and I haven't re- heard anybody say this, so I could be wrong here, but here's what I, here's what I think, okay? If, if in regular worship, when we're singing praises to God and we're hearing the word, okay, in a general way, we are remembering Jesus and he is coming and ministering to us. But in the Lord's Supper, there's a very, a very special and unique way in which we remember Jesus and he comes and ministers to us. Let's, uh, let's go to what Paul says about the Lord's Supper. Uh, look at verse uh, 
Look at verse 23. Paul basically just reiterates what's in the Gospels, and we'll just read this at length. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Notice a couple of things about the Lord's Supper. First, Jesus commands it, right? He commands that we do it regularly. Uh, Second, he commands that we do it as an act of remembrance. Do you notice that? Do this in remembrance of me, stated twice, that the, the point of the Lord's Supper is that in it, in a, in a tangible sense, we remember, we look back afresh to what Jesus Christ did in his life and death. That's the point. So, so again, now, this is hard, okay? Now, you guys know how it is. Like, once every six weeks, all right? And some of us aren't in church every Sunday, so maybe once every, you know, three or four months, you miss one, all right? All of a sudden, you know, Buster's in the contemporary service if you're in there, or Dean's doing it, and, and, and they're passing the the juice and the, the bread around, you're like, please, I don't want to spill this. You know, like everyone's like, I don't want to spill this, okay? And I get the details are a little overwhelming, right? But what, what is going on there, all right? And what God intends, he intends that the Lord's Supper be a picture, a, a physical sign of his grace, and that by taking it, you remember Jesus. You remember what he did. That's the point of it. If you're not getting that out of the Lord's Supper, you're not coming rightly. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not helping you. Um, but also notice um, what the bread and the wine represent. The bread, Jesus says, this is my body. So the bread represents the body of Jesus broken on the cross as a meal for you. Well, that's really, that's a powerful image. Jesus' broken body is your spiritual food. Jesus' blood poured out it's not just water, which would sustain life, but wine, which brings joy. That's the Old Testament uh, symbol for abundance and joy is wine. So Jesus' blood for you is spiritual joy. It brings you life. And notice also that um, all of this is done in the context of a table meal. And we, lose, we totally lose this because we're just passing plates, right? But in the ancient church, in the supper when Jesus did this, they were around a table together. And in ancient culture, when you ate with somebody, you affirmed them and you welcomed them. You ever wonder why Jesus was criticized for eating with sinners? He was criticized because when he ate with them, he, it, him eating with them signified, I accept you. I embrace you. And so it's not, just a, it's not just a serious time when we look back to Jesus. It's a celebration. It's meant to be enjoyed like a giant feast of us together. Um... And it's not just a celebration. Verse 26, we could, we could spend the whole Sunday on verse 26, but it says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is an element of preaching and even evangelistic action in taking the Lord's Supper. It's a, it's a visible sign to the world. Um, it's, just, it's crazy. Um, and one thing that I have just been chewing on and... Uh, thinking about as I've been preparing to teach this passage is that 
the Lord's Supper itself is a rescue and a restoration from the sins I just described. Right? We were talking about not coming to worship properly, coming without a serious intention, coming with unresolved sin towards other people. And guys, if what I said was true, everybody in here is in trouble, right? Just admit it. You, you come here. Like, some of you guys are yawning because you were up till midnight watching a game that was over at 9, right? You know? So, so, like, like that, that's the, so, so some of us come, we're just thankful we're here, you know? Um, we, we haven't set aside time. We haven't, we haven't prayerfully considered worship. We're not, we're not intentional about stirring ourselves up. You know, we've come the wrong way. Many of us have. God, God's very intense about that. And in the middle of that, right in the middle of corporate worship, when most of God's people have not come rightly, Jesus offers us the very meal of his body and blood at his table. He welcomes us afresh. That's the Lord's Supper. In the middle of your sin, right in the middle of your mess, your unwillingness to change your habits to be here on time or to, or to have your heart in the right place, Jesus welcomes you. And he says, come and eat. My body and blood was enough for you. It can feed you. That's Lord's Supper. It, it, it's the gospel in, in picture form for you. And so this morning, even though we don't have a Lord's Supper, you know, won't you remember Jesus afresh? Won't you remember that right now, because of what he did, he welcomes you. you you're, you're his. His blood's enough for you. He, he'll feed you this morning. And as, as you feel him welcome you, won't you think through um, welcoming one another? I, I, in any room this size, there are unresolved relational issues. Some of you guys are struggling with each other. You're struggling with other believers in this church. You're bitter. You're neglecting people. Some people you've just written off. And as Jesus has welcomed you and he's provided for you, won't you love them? Won't you go reconcile yourself? Just, just go confess your sin to somebody you've sinned against. So this is the, it is a, the Lord's Supper is a grace gift to our souls. Um, and it is something to be received. This is where we're going to talk about exactly what's going on in Corinth. Um, the Lord's Supper is a incredible, just an incredible picture of grace. But if you come to it and you're still unrepentant and you're still disregarding others, there can be great judgment. Look at, uh, look at verse 27. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Well, that's a hard verse to understand, but uh, you guys ever been to a potluck dinner when everybody brings something, right? Everybody brings a side, you know? The guys bring, like, chips. The girls always bring, like, good food. Anyways, um, just saying. Uh, anyways, the Lord's Supper in Corinth, everyone generally was so poor, the only way they could do the Lord's Supper was if everyone brought their own food. They brought their own bread and wine. And of course the idea in the church is that you share it, right? But in Corinth, people were so selfish and they were so consumed with themselves that the rich guy would bring his own bottle of wine and a giant thing of bread and just pig out and get drunk. And the poor guy sitting next to him who had nothing would just go hungry. That's what was happening. You guys, just think about that, right? It's celebrating the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, the ultimate sharing of himself, 
and you can't share a piece of bread with your poor neighbor. That was, that, that's what was going on in, in Corinth. The way they celebrated the Lord's Supper was a rejection of this gift of Jesus. And so, if you're someone who uh, is super, like, guilty, and you're like, oh my gosh, verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill until they die. Oh my gosh, am I, you know, the re- the, do I have a stomach bug because I'm doing this wrong? <laughs> Under, understand, understand that what was going on in Corinth was a flagrant, crazy kind of sin. Now, we might be there in degrees, okay? We might be sitting next to someone we don't particularly like taking the Lord's Supper, and we don't care that we don't like them. We're not repenting of that, right? That might be a part of it. But my guess is um, your weakness and illness is probably not God's judgment on you unless you are doing something as flagrant as this. Unless you are completely disregarding your brother in the, right in the middle um, of, the, of the wonder of the Lord's Supper. Um, I, think, I think God, God offers us the Lord's Supper is such a, a picture of the gospel. He offers us repentance in the middle of it. I think, uh, I think there's this great phrase, you, you come as you are to Jesus, but you don't stay that way. You know, it's a good, a good guide as we talk through coming to worship rightly, coming to the Lord's Supper rightly, is you can come as you are. I mean, you, can, you, you, you show up and you're like, man, I am bitter towards X, so-and-so. But the whole process of corporate worship and of, of the Lord's Supper ministering to you is meant to change you. So it does matter how, how you come, but what matters most is how you respond to God's grace in the gospel, in worship, in the Lord's Supper. Um, so Paul gives us some advice to these struggling Corinthians. He says in verse 28, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without sharing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Look at verse 31. If we judge ourselves truly... We would not be judged. So, uh, Paul's advice to these Corinthians is twofold. First, it's examine yourself. When you come to worship, when you come to the Lord's table, spend time thinking about where you are at. Now, some of us, again, are very introspective, and we need to work on not looking inside so much. I'll say that in a second. But some of us uh, live very thoughtlessly. We don't, we don't want really to give consideration to our lives. Um, Paul would say, that's you, one great time where you can intentionally examine yourself when you gather with God's people. It will bless you. Because when you examine, when you, take, when you take a minute of silence and you examine yourself and you see your heart and you see how you've really lived this week, that offers you an opportunity for repentance. And repentance brings joy. And it keeps you from arrogantly participating in worship. But then Paul says something, a real difficult phrase, discerning the body. We should, we should eat and drink. We should take the Lord's Supper by discerning the body. And I think this means discerning the body of Jesus given to you in the Lord's Supper. Um, understanding what you're doing, actually doing what the Supper intends, remembering Jesus looking to him afresh, seeing him. Um, I think uh, a pastor said, and Buster's quoted him a million times, uh, he said, for every look I take at my sin, I take 20 looks at the cross. I think that's that's the pattern here. That when we come to worship, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we should examine ourselves. We should take account of our lives. But then, from that place, we should look at Jesus. 
And look at his life. Look at his grace. Look at his, look at his righteousness given to us in the gospel. Um, I don't know if you guys know who George Herbert is, but he was a poet from the 17th century. And he writes uh, this poem called Love Number 3. And it pictures Christ as a host of a table and a Christian as kind of a reluctant, unworthy guest. But, uh, but here it is we close. Love bid me welcome, yet my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack for my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. That's what how he responded. I'm not worthy. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it deserves. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame, my dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. I just encourage you guys to look that up on Google. It's really a great picture. But you know, see what happens? He comes in unworthy, feeling the weight of his sin. And the Lord Jesus, just through tender mercies, convinces him, persuades him of his love. And eventually, he gets, and he goes, so I'm going to leave. Okay, well, fine, fine, fine. I'll stay, but I'll serve. And the Lord says, no, sit and eat. Come and receive. Come and be filled. That's the Lord's Supper. That is what God intends in our worship. He intends for us to come and be filled, to, to reflect, to examine ourselves, to, be, to repent and to be humble, but then to see his grace. So see his grace today as we worship. Um, you welcome us, and that you even pursue us when we are reluctant. I pray for people who are whose consciences are struck this morning and who are struggling with the weight of their sins, that you would comfort them. Maybe for people who uh, are not so struck in their consciences, that their consciences are kind of hard towards you, and I pray you soften them, that you'd help them to examine themselves. And we just plead, God, that you'd be honored uh, today, particularly as we go to worship. These truths will uh, give us a reverence towards you. In Jesus' name.